Welcome to Pediatric Meltdown, the podcast about children's mental health and emotional well-being. I'm Dr. Leah Gugino, a primary care pediatrician, and I created this podcast for the pediatric medical community and anyone who cares about children's behavioral health. Pediatric Meltdown offers thoughtful conversations featuring experts from the field. Learn practical strategies from the best and become a savvier clinician. Hey listeners, welcome back to another episode of Pediatric Meltdown. I did want to let you know that we will be talking about suicide on this podcast, and that may be triggering for some. If you're experiencing suicidal ideation, please get help and please reach out. As I said, this may be hard to listen for some, and I just want to say that up front so you're prepared. So today I have Zakia Alavi joining me. She is a lovely human being, and this is an encore performance for her. She is a child and adolescent psychiatrist, a diplomat of the American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology, and obtained her medical education at Dow Medical University in Pakistan. She completed her residency in psychiatry, followed by a fellowship in child psychiatry at Wayne State University in Detroit. Dr. Alavi has worked in both clinical and academic settings since 1999. Currently, she is engaged in providing psychiatric services to underprivileged children in Jackson, Michigan. Dr. Alavi is the Chief Medical Officer for Mid-State Health Network, which is a Medicaid-managed care organization providing behavioral health services for 21 counties in Michigan. In 2012, Dr. Alavi, being invited by the program in public, College of Human Medicine, Michigan State University, to develop and teach a course on psychiatry and public health, joined the academic faculty, which has since become her academic home. She is currently serving as an assistant professor in the Department of Pediatrics. Her academic responsibilities include teaching medical students integration between basic and clinical sciences for the Department of Pediatrics, and she is involved in a HRSA grant that provides education and consultation to primary care providers in the Michigan Upper Peninsula. She is also involved in developing telemedicine pilot, which will provide psychiatric and neurodevelopmental consultation to pediatricians in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Dr. Alavi is also a co-moderator for the International Collaborative Office Rounds, an interprofessional monthly meeting of U.S. and international clinicians that includes primary care pediatricians and child psychiatrists. Dr. Alavi has published several peer-reviewed articles, her primary interest in psychopharmacology and polypharmacy in children and the geriatric population. I don't know how she has the time and energy to do all those things, but I do know that she is gifted and compassionate, and I am so glad that she was willing to join me in this conversation because it's a tough one. So I hope that you will take away something, if not for yourself, for your colleagues. We lost a clinician in my organization, and it is heartbreaking and a tragedy. And there are things that we can do to open our arms to each other and to hear our pain and to be able to provide some solace, comfort, and help. So please take some time to sit and listen and find some grace. Hi, Zakia. How are you? Hi, Leah. I'm doing well. And how are you doing on this nice, sunny Labor Day Monday? 
It is a beautiful day in West Michigan, so I'm happy, and right now I am happy to be talking to you, and I'm sad to be talking about this topic, but I know you understand it, and it's both near and dear to our hearts, and um, as I said in the introduction, we lost one of our own in our area here, and it it is heartbreaking, and Mm -hmm. I feel like her death is just the tip of the iceberg, and that sometimes it takes something like this to shake it up and to start talking, so you know, I don't think that most people think that physician suicide is anything very common, but that's not the case, right? It's not at all. I mean, um, roughly speaking, we have about numbers suggest a doctor dying every day. And and the numbers we're talking about in the U.S., and this is roughly twice the rate of the general population. So you can imagine these hardworking, brilliant people, they just end their lives and and they end it in in a way that affects so many people and their families, their patients. A physician suicide really reverberates in, in many circles. And I remember many years ago, my senior, our senior colleague um, ended their life. And at that time, something that when we debriefed and talked amongst ourselves, one of the, the thoughts and comments that struck me, and I still remember it, was how somebody said how this was a way out that they hadn't thought about. And it just gave me the chills. And it hasn't left me. And this was like 15 years ago. Well, and it's so it's so interesting, the reaction. I mean, I think there's probably a lot of people that maybe it hits home for them. Like, yeah, I've I've sat with those dark thoughts. Um, there's some people that might be, I could never do that. And how could they do that? And there's often a lot of anger. Like, why didn't they let somebody know? In fact, somebody said to me, well, this was a physician. Why didn't they just write a prescription for themselves? And, you know, somehow this idea that we can cure our own despair without like, like we're somehow different. Right. And then I'll say something else too, as a psychiatrist, especially the idea that, you know, as if writing a prescription, taking said prescription will lift that cloud of doom, you know, it doesn't. And and it doesn't because if it was simply a chemical issue, as sometimes, you know, we forget that it isn't, then, yeah, you correct the chemical imbalance, quote unquote, right? And it should, the, the cloud should lift. But for many professions, but for physicians especially, the reason a simple prescription perhaps doesn't solve the problem is because of burnout. And physician burnout is a huge factor that plays into this tragedy. Yeah. And I, I it sounds like one is that suicide is multifaceted. It's not usually just one thing. It's many things. Correct. And Correct. that, I mean, I was thinking about this, that our training really sets us apart to be somehow different because it's almost like soldiers, you know, we're taught by intimidation, which I think translates to you're not enough Mm -hmm. and that I have to train you to be small Mm -hmm. humiliation. And and that's just piles on enormous amounts of shame. And particularly Mm -hmm. it's not okay to not be okay. You of all people, should not be depressed 
or anxious mm-hmm. or have a sign of weakness and then pure exhaustion. I mean, you know, we're on call We're you know, when I was on call back in the day, you know, I mean, we do 36 hours and, you know, we're taking care of people that are critically ill, you know, critically mm-hmm. ill children. And I'm exhausted. Am I in the best position? And I hope that the change in hours for trainees has helped, but you know, 16 hours is a long time. Yeah, it, it is. And so again, uh, wearing my psychiatrist hat, we have to look at the people who make it into med school. So there is a certain type, right? And that type is the type that we're all familiar with. It's the somewhat obsessive, hardworking, very hard on ourselves, um, the type that doesn't take no for an answer, the type that just has grit and, and, and is resilient and feels that there is a purpose and I'm going to work for that. And I'm 18 years old and everybody's out partying and I'm here sitting with my books that I'm 24 and everybody is still having a life and doing stuff. And I don't have two weekends in six months that I can call my own. And then I'm 35 and I thought this would be a good time for me to relax. And now I work and now RVUs pretty much rule my life. So there is a certain type of person that enters medicine. I don't care if you're a surgeon or an ER doc or a pathologist or a psychiatrist or a pediatrician. It doesn't matter. We all go through med school and that's what draws us together, that type. And that type is resilient and hardworking, but there is a a flaw in that. And that flaw is that we survive and we are successful because we look internally for drivers. We don't look, we don't look at luck. We don't look at, oh, it was, you know, a rainy day. And that's why I didn't do a good job on my test today. We're very fact oriented, but we're also internally driven. So then when things go wrong, we are also then internally driven. And we work with human body. Things are perpetually going wrong. I mean, that's the definition of our job. We work with patients, right? We forget that things go wrong and we have a tendency to take things internally. So put that together with when you don't make the RVUs, when your resident or your senior resident says, why weren't you there to pick up the phone in the ICU when I know that I was running a code on two other people simultaneously, you know? So it's like the perfect storm. Everything that can go wrong and make us burn out and make us feel helpless and hopeless happens. Everything you said, I can totally relate to. I mean, I'm I'm at the other end where, you know, I'm sort of retired, not really, I'm super busy, but, you know, my identity is tied up in being a pediatrician. And that means seeing kids and that if I'm not seeing kids all the time, am I really a doctor? Do I get to hold that title? Am I, you know, because it it feels like it is my being. And yet I do a lot of other things, but I'm, I beat myself up because, well, I'm not really worthy Mm -hmm. of that Mm -hmm. title. And, and I think there's a lot about worthiness and, and then there's, you know, electronic records. I mean, I know some of my younger partners that have small children are, are, are documenting for hours in the evening and they're tired. They're just tired. Keep in mind that time is not compensated for, right? No, not at all. I was talking to another physician um, a couple of days ago and they said that, 
you know, it's like this double whammy. You feel bad because you should have finished your work at five, right? You should be able to leave it at, you know, when you leave your office and you don't. So you, you know, remember, we are competitive people. We are people who like to do things completely and wrap them up nice and tidy with a bow on top. And that's what we think is a good outcome. So every day when at 5.30, 6 o'clock, you just finished a full day and you still have like 20 charts to do or 16 charts to do. I'm talking about myself right now. Actually, totally relate. I'm right there right? with you. Yep. That, you know, that is like this little hit to your psyche. That is a, a personal insult. And it doesn't, it doesn't go away because it, tomorrow brings it back up. So, I mean, I'm making it, I guess, sound really dark and really horrible. Oh, but it's, it's the reality. I mean, the other thing is, is it is unpredictable every day. I mean, you have names on your list if you're doing outpatient medicine or inpatient medicine, but you don't know until you walk in the room what you're going to get. I remember being a resident and it was exciting. You know, we got to go out on flights or take the baby bus to go get kids. And it felt like, you know, like Mm -hmm. the TV doctor, I get to go out and Mm -hmm. it was terrifying because I thought, what if what on the, is on the other end, I can't handle and it's on me. I'm tag, I'm it. And, and I think that that is an enormous burden that we bear. And we, we, there's a huge joy in medicine because we get to be so intimately connected with other people and let into their lives. But what comes with that is an enormous responsibility that is hard mm-hmm. to just check at the door at five. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and so in addition to all of this, then came the pandemic. And, you know, we're the healthcare heroes, we're stepping up, we're doing all these crazy shifts, and then the winds shifted, and now people spit on you, they make death threats. I mean, somehow the person that was, you can trust me, I trust you, please help me, and now I hate you. I mean, what what mm-hmm. about the moral injury in that? Oh, it's awful. We really need to have this conversation with each other. We need to have this conversation with our administrative partners because science has really taken a beating. It really has. And you and I, Leah, I guess we we have the luxury of that this little bit of time and, and perhaps the room in our heads to even process this. But I know that there are our colleagues out there in the trenches who don't have even the time to recognize, to just to even acknowledge that I am burnt out, that all of this anti-science stuff right now is really, really a moral injury, a personal invalidation of what has been my life's work. Well, and I liken it to, I've got this life preserver in my, in my hands. I see you out in the water with your children and you're floundering and mm-hmm. I throw it to you and you say, you know, don't throw that at me. I don't need it. And down you go and you take your children with you. That's what it feels like. And, and now, and I'm the bad person because somehow there's something toxic and bad about the life preserver. It, it's Absolutely. crazy. Yesterday I had a couple of residents over into our medicine, peds, trauma, 
ER, just some of residents, and I just thought, well, I'm just going to have them over. They were all working. Nobody couldn't leave town, right? And one of the young residents was talking about how guilty they felt when just a couple of days ago, they had a patient that, that died and from COVID. Somebody, you know, early 40s who did not choose to get a vaccine. And this resident, I felt so bad because they were really like torn inside about, I mean, they took care of the patient, but they kept saying, I, I don't, I sh- I'm really, part of me is really mad at them for w- doing this to themselves and for exposing everyone else around them. Taking them down with them. Yeah. Well, it it is, and it it's it's heartbreaking. I I can only say that it feels like a personal assault on our mm-hmm. integrity, mm-hmm. and the fact mm-hmm. that our chosen passion and mission is to save people's lives, and uh-huh. and and we can't do that. And and you know, what do you do with that? I I, I don't know. I I wanted to switch gears a little bit about the people who may need to hear this are not necessarily going to be the people who listen, right? But some of the people who are listening may know those folks who could really use that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. let's talk about some of the things that how do we know if we are suffering burnout, or if one of my colleagues is, and, and what do you do about that? Because it's one thing to recognize it. You know, if I saw one of my partners that was I was worried was drinking too much, man, that's a really hard thing to confront them and mm-hmm. say, it really is. Hey, I'm worried about you. And that might be a worst case scenario, but I, I think, and I'm just going to list some of the warning signs. So exhaustion and compassion fatigue. I mean, I think mm-hmm. we're, a lot of us are there. Emotional detachment, cynicism, you know, like, I don't care, whatever, mm-hmm. feeling useless or that the work we're doing is meaningless work is taking over our lives and making mistakes. Can you think of others or anything that you have thoughts about on that, that list? No, I think that's, that about covers most of it. I'll put another spin on it, if you will. Sure. And that would, again, in psychiatry, we, we talk about the biopsychosocial model. And I like that to use that to formulate when we, and I'm teaching or when I am thinking of a patient that I've seen to formulate what I've seen and what I'm, how I'm going to proceed from that point on. So I would say to our colleagues, you know, think in the terms of biopsychosocial for yourselves, for people around you, you know, biologically, are, are you sleeping well? Are you eating well? Um, you know, what's your energy level like? How are you feeling? Are you, have you lost all interest in everything that you, I mean, maybe you used to read books, maybe you, I don't know, you'd like to bike or hike or something. Are you still doing that? You know, do a quick check-in biologically. Because those are all, you know, biological signs, vegetative signs, you know, the loss of interest, the anhedonia, the, you know, changes in sleep, changes in appetite. What's going on with your weight? Um, What's going on with your sense of um, energy? You know, are you perpetually tired even if, you know, you've slept 10 hours, right? So check in, check in yourselves. And, And, you know, if you have a colleague that you're worried about, ask. Simple questions like, have you been sleeping? Have you been eating? You know, um, and then psychosocially, look, check in again. You know, today when I go to work, do I drive? Because I have had days like that. I think most of us have in, in healthcare, especially through the pandemic. Do you dread going to work today? You know, 
do you feel like I don't want to really go because what am I going to change? What's going to happen if I don't show up? Nothing's going to happen because bad things happen regardless. So, you know, the sense of futility, that sense of um, I'm useless, there is no point. That would be something to check in um, yourself or or ask. Or if you you are more likely to see it than someone verbalize it because we are, you know, tough little soldiers. We're trained to not complain. We show up to work, right? But you will see these people, these colleagues, these friends or yourselves showing up, but without your mojo, without your, you know, the the joy, the positivity that brought you to medicine, right? You'll see people making mistakes. Um, you'll see people losing friends, um, socially becoming isolated. I mean, and in, in I, I can imagine people who are listening, we can all... We've all been there where, you know, if you've worked a 10 hour day and then two more, three more hours of doing paperwork, what social life are we talking about, really? And I think there's probably mood and, you know, mood things. I mean, I can think of myself, um, Mm -hmm. particularly Mm -hmm. when I was dealing with mental health things, um, because I developed sort of a passion for that. But that's a lot of to bear. I mean, you know that better than I, but I literally remember coming out of a room, sitting on a floor and sobbing because of the story mm-hmm. that this child had, had told me. I mean, it was horrific, horrific abuse. And, um, and in likewise, I've also seen my partners be short with nurses, um, to be unkind, mm-hmm. um, and to be pissed off, you know, just complaining mm-hmm. about stuff. Um, and then, and then the administration comes in and says, you know, the providers need to be nicer without really thinking about, well, yeah, we do. I mean, we shouldn't be taking it out on other people, but is there something going on? Right. And so that's, um, that's actually a really good point, um, in how do you know somebody is burnt out or how do you know if you're burnt out, you know, because, um, you know, hopefully, most of us are not people who are perpetually mean or nasty to other people. And, um, but we find ourselves doing that. If we find ourselves or our colleague who's doing that, then that could probably point to burnout or worse, burnout and some, you know, access one psychiatric conditions, you know, maybe even major depression and maybe more. Um, I think we don't ask enough questions, Leah. You know how, Used to be um, in at the airports, they would have those little signs which said, um, you know, see something, say something. Right, and right. And lately I've been thinking, you know, we should have those uh, little on our lapels, right, to, about each other. If you see something, if you see somebody burnt out, please reach out and say something. And it helps. It helps to have these conversations, these podcasts, because it raises awareness. Well, I was reading a book by his name's Dyke Drummond, and he is primary care physician and experienced burnout. And he wrote a book, I think it's called Physician Burnout. I'll include the link in the show notes. But he talked about one of the things was sort of meeting with your colleagues at the beginning of the day, like your your nurse, your MA, and kind of doing a review. But he talked about doing a squeegee breath, which, you know, imagine a squeegee on a window that you would take it from the top down all the way down to the tips of your toes as a group, look Mm -hmm. at your day, anticipate what's coming and kind of head into it with that joint purpose. Like it's not just me by myself, you know, sort of that idea about um, 
let's just start, set the tone for the day. But another thing that I'm thinking about is, you know, don't you wish that you had like a little smiley face or sad face that you could put on your badge every day to say, this is is where I'm at today. So yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm in a great place. I'm a 10 or Mm -hmm. you know what? I'm in a low, I'm in a two. So if I act crappy today, I'm, I'm just going to prepare you. So help me out. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't think, you know, we often try and do it for our staff, but we don't do it for ourselves because Mm -hmm. we are not supposed to be vulnerable. We are not as a group, much less likely to acknowledge any signs of um, health condition. And I'm not, mental health is a, is a mood point. Even health can, we make horrible patients as we all know. Um, So true. Right. And so acknowledging, but then seeking help. I mean, that doesn't work very well with the mindset, the personality type. We look internally for drivers. Yeah. Yeah. And so if internally something isn't working, we're the last people to acknowledge that. We are more likely to say, oh, just push harder. Right. If I could just do a little bit more, push more, it would be just fine. Right. And I can come in earlier and stay later and work the evening shift and work the day shift. And that takes a toll on those social supports we have because, I mean, our partners are only going to put up with so much when they start getting annoyed with us. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the other thing that we haven't talked about is, you know, we have our own lives outside of medicine. Like Mm -hmm. we might have a partner, we might have children, we might be caregivers for our elderly parents. And guess what? We have the same issues with like divorce, kids that are in trouble and suffering. And, Mm -hmm. you know, again, there's somehow, you know, you go to a party. I don't know if this has ever happened to you and you start talking about your kids or people are telling you all about their, you know, their children that are doing all these wonderful things. And you're like, yeah, my kid's not doing that great. Well, it's not yes. like you're going to want to share that or, you know, things are not going well in my marriage um, or, um, you know, my parents have severe dementia and, I'm responsible for that. And that burden of, you know, just all the things. And then you add in this other profession that is all about attending Mm -hmm. to other people's needs all the time, all the time. Yes. So what does one do then? Leah? (laughs) That was perfect. You must be reading my mind. I'm thinking in my head. Okay. I think we've outlined it pretty good. These are the signs. Um, These are the sort of um, things you might see. So a couple things that just come to mind. And I think, you know, we see self-care and people immediately think I should meditate. Of course, you know, do I have mm-hmm. 10 minutes to do that? Um, do yoga again, time. Mm-hmm. Um, I could get a pedicure, which is lovely. I like pedicures, but you know, doesn't change my life. So I did listen to a great YouTube and I'll have to try and find the link, but Bessel van der Kolk did it at the very beginning of the pandemic and he likened the pandemic as a trauma and he wrote the book the body keeps the score about trauma and he talked about seven things that could help people and I'll try and get them all off the top of my head but one was are you and you alluded to this before are you are you sleeping that was like the number one thing are you sleeping well Mm -hmm. are you eating nutritiously um, it doesn't mean being on a diet, but are you, are you nourishing your, your body? Are you moving? Doesn't have to be, I'm on the treadmill, but are you moving your body? 
-hmm. Are you making connection with your family? I think during the pandemic, we've made lots of connection with our family. And if you like the people in your home, that's awesome. If that isn't good, that's been hard. And Mm -hmm. even if it is good, you've had all those other people that need you. So there's that. Mm -hmm. Um, Social life, are you maintaining connections with those that you care about and care about you? Creativity, which I didn't think about. And he talked a lot about play. I mean, who has time for play? I mean, what does that even mean? Do we even allow ourselves to play? No. Oh, that just feels lazy and indulgent. And then the last one was spirituality. And that could mean, you know, whether it's praying and church, or did it mean, you know, taking a step outside and taking deep breaths? So I loved those seven things. There may be for some people, I don't have the bandwidth to do any of that. And those folks, I would say to you, please reach out to somebody for help. But um, I I thought that that list was really helpful. Mm -hmm. And but what about that more? Because you see those folks that are not able to do that. What, What do you think about the resources and what other things could do to help them? You said, you know, just now reach out, reaching out seems to be everybody talks about reaching out, but Leah, who do you reach out to? I think, I think having in our profession, not just education and awareness about the need to reach out, but also resources easily available, like a cheat sheet. And I know earlier today, we were talking about um, a physician support hotline, and that number is 888-409-0141. And I know, Leah, you're going to put the number and contact in the in the notes, but something like that would be lovely. Um, because when, as a psychiatrist, when I think about trauma, what's the number one thing that we think of with trauma? We we think about verbalizing. We think about a making sure the person is safe before we do anything, and then once they are in that safe space, then helping them, supporting them, but supporting them, putting words to those feelings. And, and sometimes just doing that, that process can really make you feel less isolated, less alone, less of a victim, less guilty, less to be blamed, you know. So there truly is um, safety in numbers and safety in, in being with people who can listen. And, and I think so creating just- safe spaces. Yeah, that safety is a big thing because I think a lot of us would worry if I sought, for example, you know, like many hospitals have employee assistant plans, EAPs, a lot of people don't trust it. They feel like my employer is going to know and I'm going to get in trouble. And, Mm -hmm. but where are those safe places? Um, You know, is there a trusted colleague in your practice that you can, you know, one of your partners and you can say, I, I'm not doing okay. I need some help. Mm-hmm. And then you can rally around, but it has to be in a way, just like if it was a medical emergency, people step up, you know, they bring you casseroles and, you know, do all those supportive things. But can we do that for the other that doesn't feel like, oh, well, that's you, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're weak or less than. And and then when it gets really dark and and we haven't really talked a whole lot about suicide, but we sort of started out with that is what about when people go there? Either me, what do I do when I've had that dark thought? And what do I do if I'm worried about you? Um, somebody else, what, what do I do with that? Who, how, how would I even begin to address that? There is such stigma 
and such fear, rightfully so, associated with the thought that a physician is thinking about dying, that it petrifies us to even to approach it to ourselves, with our colleagues. So I think the first thing is to, to get past that barrier and acknowledge. Once you acknowledge in yourself or in someone else, you see someone and you see how absolutely out of sorts they are and you don't see any hope, any joy, you know, ask them, ask, are you okay? You know, and maybe they'll say yes, maybe they'll say no, but something along the lines of, you know, when people are really burned out, they sometimes think that life is not worth living. Are you in that space? Because if you are, you're not alone. And that sometimes can help open that conversation. It's harder when it's you, right? How does one do that to oneself? Well, and I think that's why, you know, we've in our organization have developed um, a provider support line, a peer support line where people can call. It's anonymous, similar to this physician support line, which um, I did call them just to get some more information. It's relatively new. It's only been in the last year and two women developed it in response, I think, primarily to the pandemic staffed by psychiatrist, totally confidential. Mm -hmm. But to know that there is a peer, somehow that peer to peer to me is the most important because we have walked in each other's shoes. We know the training, we know the demands and Mm -hmm. a colleague in another profession, not to demean another profession, but you don't know my life, but you as a physician do, we can relate. And, and so if I can talk to you about it, that feels somehow less threatening. I Um, agree. But you also have to have people that are okay to hear it. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's sort of like with screening for suicide. If you ask and somebody says, yes, you got to be prepared for the answer. And you need to be prepared in such a way that you're not freaked out to hear it. Like, oh, my God, don't please don't say yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yes I mean, yes. But I do think I like that language. And I heard in another I did a safe talk training and the language was. I don't know about you, but sometimes when people are in similar circumstances, they've had heart, have had thoughts of killing themselves. Have you ever had that thought? Mm-hmm. Um, and and getting comfortable with that language, which is really hard. It's really hard to say mm-hmm. thoughts of suicide, thoughts of killing yourself. It feels intrusive. It it does, and you know, and then there's this other side of oh my god, what if they said yes? Yeah. You know, I I I have a busy day ahead of me. I've got however many patients and my own stuff. And now I'm asking this question and God forbid, if they were to say, yes, there goes my day. Um, I mean, it sounds so selfish and cold, but you know, um, we're nothing if not practical. So. Well, and that's a little self-protective too. Like I can't hear you. So mm-hmm. I think we have to set up those systems where we can direct people and people know I can go to this person or this phone line Mm -hmm. and the people there can hear it and want to hear it. That's a whole different part. And I think this is an opportunity for um, employers to say, this is not okay. This, we cannot tolerate this level of despair in our, Mm -hmm. our, our caregivers. And, and of course this, this relates to, you know, nurses and MAs and you know, the lab support, all of the people in healthcare are mm-hmm. being asked so much. So, but, but again, I'm, I'm, we're kind of focusing on physicians today, but we have to be able to convey in our training programs, 
Um, and an earlier podcast, I talked to Christopher Veal, who wrote the article, We Burn Out, We Break, We Die, mm -hmm. and his grappling with his own suicidal ideation. What saved him was he knew that there was a safe person he could call. And that mm -hmm. person knew that he was in trouble and did not give up on, I mean, she wouldn't get off the phone with him until she said, I'm going to stay on the phone with you until you get home. Mm -hmm. um, and because he was having, he was in his car and thinking about crashing his car. Mm -hmm. And, and, and she somehow had the wherewithal to figure out, I need to stay with this person right now, but we need people trained to be able to do that. And, and you have, and it's going to take time and money. And you're right, Leah, we need to make this um, a priority at the level where you are working as an attending, so organizations that you work in. But then I think at the level of med schools and uh, residency programs, we, we need to teach our medical students and residents how to say no, when to step up, when, and, and our program directors and training directors and attendings and professors to know what is beyond uh, somebody's um, capacity in, the, in, in that moment and how to reach out. I find, you know, as a faculty, um, as an attending, as a, as a physician, sometimes I really need to stop and, and deliberately take a deep breath and say, just because I have seen however many patients today, it's because I've had this experience, it doesn't mean that my poor second year intern or my third year medical student has the same, has built up the same emotional uh, reserve and the thick skin that I have if, and, and to make room and to make that a priority somehow, somewhere. So we're asking ourselves once again, a lot, aren't we? Yeah, but that's I, how I, we do it. I think about it like bandwidth. You know, if I could go in every day and go, okay, kind of like that smiley face, what's my bandwidth today? Am I, mm -hmm. Am I able to take on, you know, seeing that extra patient um, to do that? Or am I, you know, is my energy low and I don't have the bandwidth and I could say to my partner, I'm really having a hard time today or to my manager, I need to take off some of these mm -hmm. patients. I'm going to need to leave earlier, I, you know, and feel okay and know that the other people can step up, but Correct. they also can step back when they can't do it. And if I come to work every day and I have no bandwidth, then I need to, to really do some self-examination. But I do think hopefully a takeaway can be every organization, whether you're an academic organization, a hospital, um, you're an ER group, you're a private practice, you're a solo practitioner, mm -hmm. is, is to kind of start doing some of that self-examination about do we allow our ourselves, our partners, um, our colleagues, our employees to acknowledge that they need help? And do we have resources to offer them? Okay. And, and that can be a starting point. So I have lots of thoughts on all the things that we can do. Um, you have to start somewhere and to have a commitment that this isn't okay. You know, we can't, I mean, a physician a day, a physician a day. It, it is just not acceptable. Not at all. And, and, you know, women are not, I think oftentimes when we think about suicide, we think about, you know, the male suicide, death by firearm, but, you know, women physicians are more likely to make attempts. So twice we're as likely twice as likely. I mean, we are not immune to that. And, mm -hmm. 
I, I, you know, I mean, the reality is we are all at risk of having the bottom fall out and we have to know when is the bottom shaky and what do I do to reinforce it before it falls out. And, and if for no other reason than the reason that we got into the profession in the first place, the reason because a physician lost to suicide impacts so many people, so many more people than probably other professions. Because remember, all those people that looked up to you, that saw you as infallible, as strong. I think one of the things that people can do, and I'm so grateful that our paths have crossed, because one is if I was a med student or a resident and I was in your cohort, I would be so relieved because I would feel safe coming to you. And I know that you would even make the overture to say, hey, Leah, I'm really worried about you. Are you okay? Um, So I think that it's like, you know, find your people. And if you don't have people, then maybe there's a problem um, there. And then if you are in capacity and you have the bandwidth, start speaking up, start speaking Mm -hmm. up to your those people that are in leadership that are making the decisions um, talk about it in your group. What will we do? You know, mm-hmm. what's, what's our policy? If you need a mental health day, can I cancel a load of patients mm-hmm. tomorrow because I just can't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. And what happens to my bottom line? What am I going to lose here? Not just the money, but also do I lose respect? Do I look weak? Do I look like I don't know what I'm doing anymore? Ooh, the so respect. Ooh, the respect and weakness. Yeah. Oh, relates right back to shame. Mm-hmm. Shame, shame, shame. Yeah. Yes. Well, I hope that people that have heard this are either, you know, maybe it's touched you and you're one of those people whose bandwidth is low. Or maybe you know somebody else. And if you're in a position to shake it up, please do so. I'm going to include some resources in the show notes. Um, some stats you can share with your administration um, and partners or whomever you feel like it would make a difference and a list of some of those resources. And if I can find that YouTube by Bessel van der Kolk, I will include that too. Is there anything else that you want to leave people with? Just um, that old thing about, you know, if you see something, say something to yourself, to others, ask, ask people. And I think you're not going to insult someone and somebody might get angry if you said, you know, I'm worried about, you know, are are you struggling with substance use? Are you, are you having thoughts of killing yourself and they get mad at you? I mean, my thought about that is better that than they died because you didn't ask and you hear all these people in follow-up. I wish I had seen the signs. I wish I had reached Mm -hmm. out to this person. And I, it was a missed opportunity. So don't miss those opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. And, and check in, check in with yourself. So Every again, day, several times a day. Um, again, that physician support line is 888-409-0141. Um, it's staffed 8 a.m. to 1 p.m., um, seven days a week by psychiatrists, and it is entirely confidential. There's also a crisis text, which is 741741. And that's staffed by crisis workers as well. And then, of course, the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, which is um, 1-800-273-8255. I am so grateful that Zakia was willing to take time on a Labor Day holiday to record this with me. September 17th is Physician Suicide Prevention Awareness Day. And I hope that you'll take a minute 
to think about your own mental health and the mental health and wellness of your colleagues. This is an opportunity for us to do some deep self-evaluation and self-exploration and really look at what brings us joy and what is wearing us down. So here are some takeaways. First, let's talk a little bit about burnout. So number one, what are the warning signs? How do I know if I'm burned out or one of my colleagues is? So here are the signs. Exhaustion and compassion fatigue, emotional detachment, cynicism, feeling useless or that your life and work is meaningless. Work is taking over your life and you are making mistakes. Number two, what's the impact of burnout? What's that look like for you? There may be physical symptoms, difficulty sleeping, changes in appetite, illness, chronic pain, financial struggles, relationship struggles with partner, children, family, friends. You may be experiencing depression, anxiety, irritability. You may be looking to substances to numb the pain, alcohol, tobacco, marijuana, or other substances. And you may have suicidal thoughts. You may have even made an attempt, and this is a dark place that keeps coming back. Number three, are there some self-care ingredients? So here's a couple tips. Self-efficacy. Assess what you want, what's working and what isn't, and be able to say no and ask for what you need. Next, advocate for those things within your organization. Make it possible for those who need time away to get it. Other ingredients, restful sleep, physical activity and movement, time for yourself, just you, pleasure reading, gardening, painting, drawing, writing, whatever that looks like for you. Time for your partner, like date nights. Time for your children and family. Finding time to play, taking your vacation, and really stepping away from the emails and the in-basket and all those things. Practice mindfulness, whatever that looks like for you. Is it meditation, prayer, yoga, or maybe it's just walking outside, looking up at the trees, taking a deep breath, and finding one thing to be grateful for. Number four, when to ask for help. When family, friends, or partners are concerned, when you're making mistakes at work, when you've had conflict with family, friends, or partners, if you're experiencing mood changes, depression, anxiety, and I can tell you from my own anxiety, there is a physical experience of those moods. You know, it may feel like a heaviness in your chest, sick to your stomach, or just feeling bad. And finally, thoughts of suicide. Number five, where can you go? Find a trusted friend, a trusted colleague, or you can reach out to some of the suicide prevention hotlines. And sometimes you don't even have to be suicidal. You may just need a listening voice. So those numbers, the physician support line is 888-409-0141. The crisis text line is text home to 741-741. The suicide prevention national line is one 800 273-8255. Please get help if you're struggling with any of these things. And please respond if you're seeing struggles in your partners or colleagues. Ask, are they okay? 
and be ready to respond to that. Have some resources at your fingertips. And if you have the bandwidth, start advocating for this in your practice, in your hospital, in your university, whatever sitting that you're in, start taking a look at what is in place for those who are struggling and make it okay to get help. If you're in a position where you are training medical students and residents and fellows, this is really critical. We need to bring up a new group of physicians who are healthy and ready for the challenge and know when they're not because they will find those moments. We are human. We are not superhuman. We suffer just like everyone else, but we are the last to ask for help or recognize that something's wrong. There is too much shame in that. And it's important that we set aside the shame and have the courage to ask for help. So please, please, please take care of yourselves. Do some self-examination. I'm going to include in the show notes a site, selfcompassion.org, and you can look for some resources there. There's some other resources I'll put in Dyke Drummond's book, and I hope that you can take just a minute to take a deep breath. Remember why you became a physician. Find some joy in one thing today and be open to the universe. Thank you for listening to this episode of Pediatric Meltdown. In the words of Maya Angelou, do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, do better. Let's do better together. This podcast was made possible by the team at Streamlined Podcasts. Music was composed by Connor McHugh and cover art was designed by Alexia Barrero.